tuned in to episode 12 of the Comics Pals. We're a comic book journalist and friends who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So five pals walk into the bar and everyone else leaves. <laughs> Man, Bill. I swear to God, those get worse every week. And <laughs> they I love really it. do. I can, I can really only imagine what it's going to be like when we hit like... <laughs> 25 50 like they're gonna go back up i don't know we're gonna have to we're gonna have to start parsing out the joke oh fuck you (laughs) much like any ongoing comic series it will ebb and flow that's right and it's quality as the creative team shift around yeah we might have to you know bring someone new on (laughs) son of a bitch (laughs) you have to amp up your game phil all right we'll see how it goes Thank you for joining us for episode 12 of the podcast if you've enjoyed what we've been doing so far Please leave us some feedback. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at the Comics Pals. You can leave us a star rating and a comment on iTunes, where we are a five-star rated podcast. You can send us your feedback on Gmail at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And you can be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you listen to this show on YouTube, definitely do us the favor of subscribing uh, it's going to get you any content we put out on YouTube really quick, and it just lets us know that you're a fan. It really helps us out. And please send in your comments and questions. We love to read them on the air. Yes, yes, please do. Um, we're going to jump right in with what we're reading, and I'm going to start because this is a Bat-centric episode of the podcast. We are all about Batman this week. And I've been reading some Batman stuff in the spirit of that. I was just giving you some backup. Oh. Batman! Batman! So, I've got some good Batman news, and I've got some bad Batman news, as far as what I've been reading. More like Batman Some bat news, come on, guys. Batman by Tom King has been solid. It's a it's a weird book, and I wish I wish that more of you guys were reading it because I would love to hear what you think about it because it's really good. The I Am Suicide Run was really really interesting. It was you 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 read it, Phil? I've read like the first four. issues. Okay, I think it was like four four or five issues. Did you did you read like the finale with Bane or? No, not yet. Okay, um, well that wrapped up and it was. The, okay, so the way Tom King writes comics is very different than the way pretty much anyone else writes comics. In that when there's action happening, the focus of the story is not on the action. It's on something kind of esoteric and like more sort of spirit-based, if you will, than than actually fisticuffs. So Batman and Bane come to blows, but it's not it's not like an exciting fight at all. It's it's actually you, it's a throwaway. It doesn't even need to be there. But that being said, it's still good, and I'm not used to that, right? Like, I think if, I think if like Scott Snyder were writing it, for instance, the action would be the centerpiece, and it would be awesome, and then there would be some kind of, you know, inner monologue from Batman that would reveal something interesting about him or whatever. Tom King does that better, but the action part kind of suffers, and I don't know if I'm really bothered by that or not. But needless to say, it was good. I think it's been kind of a refreshing change of pace, to be honest with you. Because, like, in the Snyder yeah. run, like, sometimes it felt like the action was just there for kind of shock value. Like, even in the very first arc, <laughs> but instead of explaining to Nightwing that he has this, like, 
thing in his tooth that makes him like marked by the court of owls. He like punches him in the face to knock out the tooth <laughs> for no fucking reason other than like this is a very visceral visual display. And also, what a dick thing to, for Batman to do. But like, and and there's a lot of that. Um, but in Tom King's run, it's not really like that. It's like it's like your dad coming up to you and it's like. You have a cavity, he just decks you in the fucking face. <laughs> so, I think I think you're right, and the action is not quite uh, the same as it was in Snyder's, but uh, it is a little refreshing, I think. And he's got, he's got some twists in the I Am Suicide uh, storyline that are, that I personally didn't see coming, that are good, but they're not overblown. He's not going for shock. He's not trying to tell a big story. He's just telling his story. That's the arc with Bane right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh that that just wrapped and then it it, it goes into a storyline called Rooftops which is just Batman and Catwoman kind of having their final moments before she goes to jail forever because she allegedly killed 239 people which she definitely didn't uh but she's taking the rap anyway. And even that's a really quiet story. There's there's action but it's irrelevant and it's just really more about the romance between Batman and Catwoman which I've always felt was overblown, but he he plays it well and it, and it works. Um, so that's been a really good, and now contrasting that with All-Star Batman by Scott Snyder and, uh, what's his name, uh, the artist that I don't like, uh, John Romita Jr. Damn, you don't like J.R.J.R.? He's, he's, he's falling off a bit. a little bit. He's falling off a bit. Yeah. The best thing about that entire run is the cover to issue five, because that's a, a, a glorious cover. Everything else about All Star Batman issues one through four sucks. Really? Yeah. I haven't read it because I've had no interest really, but I'm sad to hear that. Good. It's bad. Like the 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 writing quality is really poor <sighs> for Scott Snyder, which is shocking. I I was blown away. Uh, the the premise is weird. Somehow Two Face knows every secret that everyone in Gotham has. How does he figure that out? I have no idea. Uh, there's just, there's nothing there. And then he's got to take Two-Face to some place and everybody's chasing them. And it, it's just, it's just dumb. Looking forward to it. Be, uh, like, uh, I, I haven't read it yet, but like, I, my issues with the Snyder run I've, uh, of, of Batman itself, uh, I felt like might've been editorial because a lot of things happening in that run were like event, event, event within the context of the story arc. So I thought this would be Snyder able to slow things down and tell a good story kind of thing. Really disappointing to hear that it's, it's not very good written-wise. Yeah, it's it's really not. And the art doesn't help because Romita Jr., I, I honestly don't know why he keeps getting hired. I mean, no disrespect. He's a big name, dude. It's just, yeah, but the, the quality of the art is very low. And then All-Star Batman number five switches things up because the, the Two-Face story is over. And it's a Mr. Freeze story. But it's a re it's a it's another origin story, kind of t- like changing his his origin, which Scott Snyder already did, uh, like a year ago. So I don't understand why he needed to do that twice. And the writing is still poor, but at least it's Jock, who is an artist that I love. So, Jock's great. Yeah, there's that. I'm probably gonna drop this title because it's just it's just nothingness. It's it's totally irrelevant. Damn. Yeah, that's that's what I've been reading. Uh, Phil, you wanna? Um, well, I just bought the, I mean, this week, um, all the Rebirth trades for the first volumes came out, I believe, or a lot of them did, right? So, I bought Tom King's Batman Volume 1, um, last, last night. 
I haven't I haven't finished it yet. I was going to do that today. Um, otherwise, uh, I was sick all week, so I was sleeping like crazy. So I didn't read anything, but I did watch the Kenny Omega match. Yes, so we will talk about that off the air because 99% of the people who are listening to this don't know who Kenny Omega is. And you're missing out, folks. Yes. Uh, Kale? Uh, yeah, uh, so I have been on vacation, uh, so I haven't read anything. Uh, but I have been buying a lot of things, and the uh, the two big things that I bought were uh, a Black Science Volume Two, yes. which I'm really excited yes. about. Um, yeah, it's that I I have Volume One. The uh, uh, I I am a fan of of uh, Reminder. I, I love uh, Deadly Class, and then the combination of that with that uh, with Black Science's uh, kind of pulpy pulp sci fi uh, sensibilities really uh, really intrigues me i'm really into it give rick remender money <laughs> give rick remender money hashtag not an ad so so yeah i'm really excited to see where that goes i also picked up uh the dead man uh romance title that came out uh i think it was in october uh it's a dead man dark mansion forbidden love dark mansion of forbidden love excuse me uh is that the kelly jones one no it's sarah vaughn and lan medita Medina. Medina. I also have been sick, so every word I say sounds like it has 14 Ds. Well, you also, this is the segment where you mispronounce <laughs> everything, right? Like, I'm glad that's Lan, catching on. Lan Medina. So wait, what about Sarah Vaughn? <laughs> yeah, she's the person that wrote it. It's uh, she, the, the, she did uh, Alex and Ada. The image oh. title. It, which, it's a surprisingly good uh, story. Alex and Ada is so I'm I'm really excited to see I'm a big fan of a uh, dead man um he's one of those um um lesser known sort of minor uh DC characters that doesn't get a lot of love but uh when he does it's often something really interesting so I'm excited to see this uh this romance sort of Victorian look uh at at you know at an adventure with him cool now, Marco, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I saw a massive stack of comics. Oh yeah, in a in a picture of yours. What's up with that? Uh, so I made it to about like three quarters of the way to that, um, and I had also picked up four or five other trades and graphic novels. So um, I don't even remember every, like, like everything that I've read. I caught up on. Uh, on Snack Girl, uh, Pete, I don't know if you read no, issue I didn't catch five up yet, bro. Oh God, you're killing, you're killing me, Marco. It's uh, I, 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 all right. So like, my brother read it before me, right? And I was in the middle of reading something else. He comes over. He's like, he takes that whatever I was reading out of my hand. He puts it in the. He's like, read that, and then we'll talk after. Say like, okay. Damn. So, um, so I did, and uh, it was really really cool. Um, we just hit like the climax, and it's crazy. Awesome! I'll make sure um, to read it this week so we can talk about it next week. Oh yeah, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna like it. Uh, I also picked up Seconds, oh, also cool. by Brian Lee O'Malley, and uh, I'm about three quarters of the way through that, and what are you I'm thinking? really enjoying it. Really, I'm really, really enjoying it. Yeah, really, really enjoying it. Cool. It's uh, I, I I think it's personally I think it's better than like Scott Pilgrim in terms of his 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 writing. Like I feel like it it matured a little more. Uh. Um. There's and, a lot to unpack there. Okay. 
<laughs> and um I'm I, I'm really liking it. Um the art uh is again just a little bit more mature, just a little bit more with uh like a nicer finish. The art's definitely a lot more developed. I like the color of it a lot too. Yeah, yeah. He he uses that really, really well. Yeah, it, it's like a very like muted. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. lots of reds. It's it's cool. Yeah. It's very different. And Oh no, I, I was oh, sorry. Just, I, before you move on from seconds, do you have more to say about it? I just wanted to No, I'm 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 really I'm really enjoying where the story is going. I really feel like it's developed uh in a way that I, I feel like the story is really well developed. Just just in general. And I think the way he's the way he's saying he's telling it, because um, I don't know if you guys know, but it also deals with like time travel and the way he, he deals with that is really emotional it's not just like oh okay we're time traveling physically but it's also a lot of to do with emotional time travel and i i, I'm, I was really digging that like, it wasn't something that i was expecting it's very strange yeah it is but i i, I really like it um yeah I, I loved it quite a bit i actually read seconds uh for the first time coming home from uh comic-con last year i think or two years ago maybe oh, okay. i remember we like um we had all been there, and then uh, I was on my way home. I picked it up, and uh, I read the entire thing in one sitting. I like, read it on the train home, and then when I got home, stayed up for another hour and a half and finished it or whatever. And, um, yeah, I think it's really solid. I uh, I can definitely see what you're saying in terms of, like, um, how his writing matured from that book from Scott Pilgrim. Um, but and I don't know if it's nostalgia bias or whatever, but like I just reread Scott Pilgrim a couple weeks ago. Um, I talked about it on the show, and um, I don't know, man. For me, I really feel like Scott Pilgrim's themes and the way it kind of or what it says, I guess, about people our age and and stuff. I think is is really really unique in a way that I don't necessarily think Seconds is. Like I love seconds and it's really great it, and it might be better written, but I don't, I don't think it's like quite as um, pivotal, you know. Like I, I don't know if I would like say it's like as important a work as Scott Pilgrim is, even if it's better. Okay, okay, I I, I can I can agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I, and I guess for me also it's just like seconds was speaking to me a little bit more just because maybe I'm slowly transitioning to like that point in my life where I can start totally thinking like ahead the way that, um, that she does, you know, in the, in the book. So, um, I guess for, for that, it's a little bit more personal as well. Like Scott program, obviously we can, we can connect with it because the way you said it, it, it speaks to something else, to something, um, when we were, when we were younger, maybe to an extent and seconds is about, that transition away from that into becoming more of like of an adult and dealing with those more i don't, I don't want to say realistic but more i think it's just more adult problems because like i think yeah like, even though that scott is an adult like scott is my age in the book uh he, he acts like a kid you know and like a, a big struggle that he has as a character is not knowing what he wants and like mm-hmm. not not knowing what he wants out of life and I feel like the issue in seconds is more like knowing what you want out of life, but not knowing how to get it. Yeah, yeah. So that's something that it, it resonated really, really. It resonated a lot with me on on that level, and I'm I'm just enjoying it. I can't wait to finish it. I'm like, I'm glad you finally read I'm it. Say that. Yeah, yeah. That was like I, old, I, I picked up all the stuff. Yeah. yeah, that was the only gap you had in his his library at this point. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Um, I was so happy to do that this year too when I finally read uh, what is it? What's his first book from the? Not no, from the deepest Kale's book. It's oh, lo- uh, lost at sea. Lost at sea. I was gonna say something with sea imagery, even though it has nothing to do with water. <laughs> it's a bunch of kids in a car on a road trip. Um, yeah, I, I like finally went back and read that this year as well. So it's nice to like kind of see how his stuff has evolved, especially because that is such a rudimentary story. Like even just in like its writing and its art, and to see like how far he's come now with Seconds and Snot Girl is is really cool. Was that was that before? Uh, Scott Pilgrim, or was that after? Yeah, that was that was his first comic. Really? Yeah, he had been working. Oh wow! Okay. I, I believe the story goes that he had been working at Oni Press for a while as like an assistant or something or whatever, and that was like the first comic that he published there. And then Scott, he like because that was successful, he did Scott. Oh, cool! All I think right, I think he right. was developing Scott Pilgrim during that time. We uh, we talked about the book in one of the first episodes. Last to see, um, it's a yeah, great we did. Book. Yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. Oh, I was just saying, I think Phil, uh, Phil connected with it a lot more, I think, because it, it hit you on a more personal level, right? It did, yeah. At the time, it had kind of um, pretty meaningful, like, it, it correlated a meaningful juncture, so to speak. Did you read it as, a, as like, a teenager, or? As an adult, I read it as a 25 oh, okay. Yeah, I think that was kind of the problem I had with it, and not problem, but it's just, like, I didn't quite connect with it because it. I just don't feel the way that character feels anymore. So it was definitely more like um, kind of like a nostalgic thing of just being like, I remember feeling this way. I remember struggling with those feelings rather than like being in that at that time in my life. Marco, did you read anything else you wanted to comment on? Um, oh, Sandman Overture. Finally got, to, got a chance to read that and it was trippy. <laughs> um it was i think it was okay so it's a lot it's like it tries to push a lot of boundaries and i appreciated that but at the same time it wasn't the sandman that i sort of expected because the whole idea behind sandman isn't necessarily he's like he's not a superhero right he's not there to save the world his whole thing is about his responsibility and his duty to being uh, being dream of the endless, but in in overture, he was kind of like he was trying to be a superhero. He was written as trying to save the universe, and I didn't appreciate that that much. It didn't feel as much as a Sandman book because of that. I enjoyed the art a lot. J.H. Uh, Williams, I think he's. He's he's crazy. He's really really inventive. The colors are gorgeous. Uh, I forgot the colorist's name, um, but the book visually was stunning, and it used a lot of weird kinds of uh, I don't know. Like at one point, you had to flip the book around. Other points, there were pages of just black, but they they were like two fold pages. So you would open the pages, and there'd be story in between. But then you fold it back up, and it's still part of the story. Because the book itself dealt with like time and space, yeah, I uh, I liked it, but it, it didn't feel like m- as much of a Sandman story as it did Sandman trying to be a hero, like a superhero. Uh, Pete, uh, yeah. So for me, it was um uh like a pretty uneventful week again, where it's just like I read stuff that's old. Um, so I can actually talk about this last week. I hinted at it last week. Uh, I took a new job where I'm going to be a freelance list writer for uh, CBR.com. It's huge. Uh, and I just, yeah, thank Congratulations, you. Congratulations, man. Huge. Wow. Thanks, guys. 
Um, so my first piece should hopefully be out by the time you're listening to this. So if you want to go take a look, uh, maybe we'll have a link up somewhere or something. I don't know. But um, you can follow me on social media. I'll definitely be talking about it. But uh, so I, I just submitted my first piece last night where um, it was 15 moments from the, the Walking Dead comics that were too controversial for the television show. Um, so I like had just finished it last night. And like I said, last week, I kind of had caught up on the walking dead and got up to where they actually are right now in the book. So I think I was about 10 issues behind. And, um, in doing my research for this piece, I was thinking a lot about the earlier days of the book and like kind of the, the prison and the post prison stuff on the, the trip to DC and everything. Um, and I was just really kind of yearning for that. So, like, um, after I finished it and turned it in last night, I went back and read issues. I think it was, like, 45 to 60 or 65, like, right around the end of the Hunter storyline. Um, and it was just fun to go back and, and kind of scratch that itch. I, I had just been thinking a lot about it for the last week. So I kind of wanted to just go back and, and jump into some old stuff. Um, this week, I'm about to be writing a new thing where I'm going to be writing about 15 times that Superman's killed someone. So I'm going to be like reading a bunch of old Superman comics. So I should have a lot to talk about next week. (laughs) (laughs) Figured Phil would appreciate that. How about we play a game? Uh, Pete, why don't you explain the game and we will jump right into it. Okay, cool. So uh, we're going to be playing a game we played for the first time, I think, what, three episodes ago? Something like that. The live episode. Five episodes ago now. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was our live episode. So, you know, we'll annotate it here somewhere. You can go check it out. Um, but it's a game that I created called, uh, tentatively called Apples and Origins. And um, essentially, it's a game where you kind of round robin style go around the room. We have put a minute on the clock and uh, we all have to name something about either a superhero, a superhero team or like a comic, like a name of a comic that we're creating. Um, so, for example, like, if I were to go first and uh, I were to say it's a male superhero, then it would be Marco's turn and he would say he wears a cape. It's and a female superhero. There you go. And then we have to build on that. So you basically just go around and around until you hit your one minute mark and you have all these details. And then everybody in the group has to pick a name for your hero, team, or book. And then we'll all vote. You can't vote for yourself. And the winner, you know, obviously the person with the most vote wins the round. And uh, I think last time we did like three rounds, but we'll probably just keep it to one. Yeah, this we're going right? to do one. And the subject is going to be we're going to be creating the ultimate Batman villain. All right, cool. So Kale's got the timer. Sean, since you came up with the topic, why don't you give us the first uh, thing? Okay. All right. So we're creating the ultimate Batman villain. Yeah. And then we're going to go like everybody has the order in mind. We'll go Sean, Kale, Phil, me, Marco. Sounds good. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Ready? She's a woman. She can stretch. Loves snails. <laughs> She's called Snail Woman. <laughs> uh, she can fly. She's black. <laughs> she has 16 hench people. She lives in her shell on her back. Her hench people are all slugs. <laughs> she has dominion over the slug world. She only wears Timberland boots. <laughs> Her, uh, uh, her Timberland boots and her shell can be used as uh, projectile weapons. Her slug byproduct, the slimy stuff, is all made out of Pepsi products. <laughs> She's about to drop the hottest rap album of 2017. <laughs> uh, she can... Okay. That's it, boys. 
All right. Marco, do you have a final? Uh, no, good good thing that happened because I had okay. nothing. All right, that's fine. So now we name Okay. Her. So, no, and just real quick to recap. So. But she, somebody already named her. Yeah, Pete named her. Um, no. Oh, I did. You're right. Crap, I broke my own rule. All right, that doesn't count. Okay. That doesn't matter. That, that was stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I literally broke my own rule. It's good in a game I created. <laughs> that's why we're playtesting it, right? Second time. It's fine. All right, so to recap. Uh, she, she is a female supervillain. She's black. She's a snail woman. Uh, she has 16 slug henchmen. She only wears Timberland boots. <laughs> and she's about to drop the hottest rap album of 2017. Uh, she has dominion over the slug world. And all of her slime trails are made of Pepsi products. What's the, what's the slug world? I don't know, Mark. Use your imagination, Sean. Right. You got it. <laughs> I guess the DCU has an alternate like dimension where there's slug people or something. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. It's sort it's sort of like the realm of the mole people, but <laughs> <was> not quite. <laughs> but way grosser. And so now we have to name this slug person. Yeah. I got Alright, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. Yeah, I got I, mine. I, I think I got it. Alright. I got I got something. I'm ready. Kill a snail. <laughs> Alrighty. That's great. Weirdly, that fits with the, the Batman mythos, too. There we go. Uh, mine is Sluggy Minaj. <laughs> no! You <laughs> took oh it! <laughs> Marco, was that yours? Hey, I gotta think. I gotta think. Regroup. Yeah, wow. it was! Well, mine was like Snaily Minaj, but nah, I can't do that now. Yes, you can. No, but it's too. I'm biting. Okay, I can't bite. I can't bite. Right, huh, huh, huh. right, mine is uh, Slugma, Queen of the Underworld. <laughs> oh, Wait, that's a Slugma? good one. That's a Pokemon. <laughs> is it? Copyright infringement. Yeah, Slugma. Gen 2. Oh, yeah, no, it totally oh, is. Wow. Queen of the Underworld that's is what cool, I got. though. All right, Pete. Um, mine is super generic. <laughs> the sensational snail woman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and Mark. I couldn't come up with anything All else. Right. I got, I I got slug and easy. Oh, there slug we go. Slug and easy. All right. That's all I and could now think the of. Voting yeah, one more time. We should all say our candidates. Right. Kill a snail. Kill a snail. Sluggy Minaj. Slugma, queen of the underworld. All right, mine is the sensational snail woman. And mine's slug and easy. All right. I'm going to throw my vote to Phil. I'm going to throw my vote to Sean? Yeah, me yeah, too. Me too. Uh, I was going to throw mine to Marco, but... Sean wins. I can't believe I won. This is your first wow. time winning. Yeah, this is my first time winning. We've played this show off the air quite a few times, and I never win, so I'm very happy about that. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and if you... <laughs> We have to keep track of who wins every time we do this on the air. Yeah. Right now, Marco's got one point. Sean's got a point, too. Awesome. All right, Marco. I'm coming for that ass. He's coming for that ass. <laughs> Swiggity sweets. <sir. laughs> if you guys want to submit a subject uh, that we can use to play the game on the air, please do. You can email us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. That's thecomicspals at gmail.com. Pete, you're welcome. Thanks, bud. And now we're going to dive into some news. Uh, a lot of this is going to be Bat-centric, which is actually just incidental. There's some Bat stuff going on, but we're going to start with Green Lantern because the Green Lantern Corpse movie is moving forward. Uh, and George Miller is rumored to direct. 
his name is is loosely attached. That's kind of the the thing that's flying around. Um, it's currently what? being yeah, George Miller. Wait, uh, what? Like Mad what did Max he do? Fame? Mad Max, dude. Whoa, That'd be awesome. Whoa. Mad fucking I didn't Max. Know that. <clears throat> That'd be awesome. I thought, yeah, I, I thought we were saying. I didn't know that either. Duncan Jones, part of that. Well, so so the Duncan Jones thing is just that he's got ideas for the project that he was kind of sharing on Twitter. Um, but George Miller was linked to it earlier this year, and you know that that doesn't really mean a whole lot. But that's what the rumor the rumor mill is kind of churning uh, around him so far. Um, David Goyer well, I mean, is gonna that would be that would be fucking awesome. Wrong with yeah. either either of those directors, I think they're both phenomenal. Yeah, man. I mean, George Miller is like. A fucking visionary. Like <laughs> that would be awesome. Babe, pig in the city. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, Mad Max, Babe, Green Lantern. Well, David Goyer is writing it, and he wrote Batman Begins, Man of Steel, and BBS. Oh boy. So I'm, yeah, I'm less excited. Hey, I'm less hey, whoa, excited whoa, whoa, whoa. about David Goyer. Batman Begins was really good. Mm, that's great. The writing. I mean, okay. Batman. Batman Begins is good, but the writing is definitely not the best yeah, part of it. Agreed. Fair. Yeah, I personally think I personally think DC should really get away from both Snyder and David S. Goyer. It's like enough is yeah, enough. Yeah, David Goyer's got some really gross like opinions about uh, certain superheroes. That's and, true and too. His attitudes, yeah. his attitudes towards superheroes are are pretty uh, obvious in in some of the films um, that he does, and I mean even it his interviews are even worse. So I, I would prefer they, yeah, just get rid of him. So this is kind of the, the very loose synopsis that, 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 that they're kind of working from. Uh, it's the green lantern corpse film is described as lethal weapon in space. Oh, oh. wow. It's Jesus Christ. Every single thing you've said, every line has been like, wow, I kind of want to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be a kind of origin story. It follows Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart and focuses on uh, Stewart's relationship with Jordan and the Lantern Corps. Um, and so that's that's kind of what they're going for so far. I like the fact that just based on that, uh, it sounds like Jon Stewart is kind of the, the main focus. Uh, Good. But of course... I personally think that when the movie actually comes out, Hal Jordan is going to be the centerpiece. But I guess you know we'll see. Yeah. Even still, if they do it, if they do it in the style of Lethal Weapon, like they they should get a, a decent amount of you know screen time, screen time separately. Right. Like they should they should ideally both be the main character if it's a buddy movie. Like even if it is like Hal's the established Lantern and and John Stewart's the new rookie or whatever. Like that's fine. That could still be a cool dynamic. I actually think that that's the way to go. Because yeah, I think John, yeah. like to me personally, I think John has the more interesting backstory. And if he's the newcomer, we're probably going to get a lot more of that. Being a, a former uh, Marine sniper, like I think that's really something that they can play with. And also, his constructs are based on his history, which I think pl- we need to know that history in order to get yeah. why his constructs are relevant. Right, I I agree. Yeah, I mean, and like just to not to like harp on this because I feel like every time the Green Lanterns come up, like. We talk about John Stewart and how he's the best one, um, and if you don't agree with that, like I'm sorry, you're you're wrong. Well, he's like, he's not. Oh, he's fight. the most boring lantern <laughs> in the comics. You haven't read any of the comics. <laughs> oh boy, Pete, respond to Phil. He hasn't read any of the comics. I'm just I'm gonna respond to Sean. What I was gonna say <laughs> was that oh I don't under- I don't understand how anyone tries to make the case for Hal Jordan. 
It's like you just had so, like John Stewart so much more interesting. You just like read on a, the comics. <laughs> he's way more interestingly written character. Like I don't care. Sorry, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I I di- I disagree. I disagree with Pete. Uh, but what I will say is, uh, John Stewart was my first. Um, and my my issue with Hal is is that he, I mean, he is just another white guy superhero. Like other than that, I mean, you know, who cares? Yeah, so so I think that this actually has the potential to be just just of the projected DC films. I think this has the potential to be the best. Uh, the premise sounds really cool. I think it's something that like works automatically. Uh, I think George Miller being sort of linked is really cool if he if he decides to do it right. Like he may not decide to, but if he does, I think that that's awesome. He probably shouldn't, honestly. Like why? No, I just. I mean, like, I want him to. I just feel like for his sake, it's probably not a good idea. He's, I see he's, what you mean. He's been li- he's yeah, been get, rumored to be linked to a DC movie for a little while now. Yeah. No, and, like, again, like, I love the guy. I want to see him do it. It's just a matter of, like, I feel like similar to how we've kind of seen Ben Affleck, like, backpedaling a little bit on this Batman movie. Like, I wonder if, like, being associated with DC is, like, good for your personal brand as a director. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, I get like, that. I, yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I feel like doing a superhero movie in general, if you're like a serious director, is like kind of iffy. And like, especially on like the losing side. I, I just mean not, you know, like I like superhero movies, but I mean like they're not taken seriously. Like they're not high cinema. They're not, you know, they're popcorn movies. And, um, you know, I just feel like coming off of Mad Max, which was like this huge blockbuster movie that got Oscar nods and everything and like... It just, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to want to do that now. Like, maybe he was attached to it at a point where that seemed more advantageous. So, maybe George Miller doesn't want to, but someone who really does want to is Duncan Jones. Uh, Duncan Jones, who's coming off the heels of Warcraft, which was a big release uh, worldwide. It didn't do so well here in North America, but it did great outside of North America. You really liked it too, right? I thought it was great. Uh, I, I mean, to be fair, I'm a Warcraft fan over the course of like, what, 12 years? And I play War- World of Warcraft currently. So I'm a little biased, but I thought it was a well done movie. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. So, um, he, but he's also done Source Code and Moon. So he's, you know, he's got, he's got some films under his belt. Um, Moon is amazing, is one of the best movies of the last decade. Cool. I, I haven't heard of and it. For, for those of you who... Oh, it's so good. It's got Kevin Spacey in it. Uh, I've never seen it either. Um, well, I know Kale just watched 2001 A Space Odyssey last night, and Moon is like the closest thing resembling that from the last half a century, and it's it's very good. Um, and for those of you who don't know, he is, of course, David Bowie's son. Duncan Jones' tweet that kind of created this buzz is... The hook in the dumb jock version of Green Lantern is that he has the power but lacks the wits to use it. Endearingly frustrating. Mm. Mm. Which I think is interesting for him to say that. Uh, of course, that alienates all the other versions of Green Lantern except for Hal Jordan. I like I like how like the pop culture uh, interpretation of Hal Jordan right now is that he's just stupid. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I mean, like, I, I kind of get it, like, and not because he's, like, actually, like, I think portrayed that way or anything, but, like, just more the matter of, like, you know, what, like, the comics code limited the Green Lanterns to be able to, like, physically do 
with their powers for a long time. Like, you can kind of interpret it that way, where it's like, oh, yeah, you can create anything in the world, but you're always making a fist, you know, or, like, a hammer, or, like, just something that's a brute force kind of tool. So, like, I could see that being an interesting storyline of trying to explore, like, what can I really do with this thing? You know, if the only limitation is my imagination or my mind. Uh, staying with, with DC and the uh, film universe, we got some more Batman news. Um, ben Affleck, he's kind of been kind of been uh, flipping and flopping on the, the directing the, the Batman film. It's a will he or won't he kind of thing. And uh, this week he did an interview with USA Today uh, and he said that uh, his big concern about directing the film is that the suit is too constricting. He says, I know what it's like to be in the suit. We'll have to modify the suit to make it a little easier to put on and take off. When you are in it, you can be sweating, crazy, and exhausted. Do your part and walk away. But when you're a director, you can't walk away. You have to be there for everybody. Chief among the challenges of doing Batman will be finding a suit that's more comfortable. Huh. I never thought about that. That's actually a pretty serious issue. Just direct it in the suit while being sweaty and angry. <laughs> uh, he, he also said, um, but when that day comes, should that day come, I'm sure that's going to be the most pressure, the most stress I have ever experienced in my professional life. There's no doubt. So I guess he's really kind of feeling the pressure and uh, maybe getting some cold feet about directing this film. I personally think he's going to do it. I think they're going to work out the suit thing. I don't think that's a big deal. They did it for Christian Bale in The Dark Knight, and they will definitely. He do didn't it. direct. It. He didn't direct it though. No, he didn't direct it, but they changed the suit because it was constricting for him. They always complain yeah, about the suits. Sure, but I mean, I don't think that that necessarily alleviates the concern that he's bringing up, though, of like him needing to be in the suit and like do his scenes, be present, yeah, be present, and yeah. then not be exhausted afterwards, and still have like the mental. Uh, capacity to direct that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I agree with his with his concern. I'm just saying. I think that that's an easy fix. I'm saying. I think you think he's capable. Yeah, you think they can figure it out. Yeah, I'm saying DC will make the adjustment for him. If they did it for Christian Bale and he was just the actor, they'll do it to get to get Ben Affleck to direct this film. One hundred. Yeah, I'm just. I'm just wondering if like how comfortable can you make that suit? Right? It's like how how many strides can you make in making it comfortable enough that it doesn't impact his ability to both act and direct so that you're not getting him not at 100% at either of those jobs. Yeah, that's a that's a tough issue. It's, you know, it's to to comment though on the production. Um we know we talked about last week that it was said that this was going to start filming this spring with no script, right? Um <laughs> no director as of right now. No director. Uh we can confirm though that Ben Affleck is co-writing the script with Jeff John, so that is true. They're just not they're not done. Um but Batman on film is claiming that the production was delayed until later in the summer, which means that if this movie was projected to release in summer twenty eighteen, that's definitely no longer possible. So we'll be waiting longer for a Batman film. Yeah, good. I'm okay with that. Take yeah. your time. Make it actually good. I mean, Agreed. we've had yeah, we've had a Batman on film every every year or two for the past decade. Like, I'm okay with it. Make it good. Yeah. Shifting over to Marvel, uh, Peter Dinklage of Game of Thrones fame is considering a role in Avengers: Infinity War. Uh, Variety reports that Dinklage is in talks to join. 
the upcoming Marvel film's cast, though there isn't any information about what character the actor would play if he does. The reason why he's able to do this is because Game of Thrones shifted their production schedule, and so they're not shooting in the summer. They're shooting in the fall. So that kind of opens him up to take on a movie project. Um, I think that's cool. Now, the real question is, who would he play? I hope it's I hope it's Uatu the Watcher. That's interesting. That would be, be cool. So that that was um. I have a couple thoughts on this. Uh, first, I wanted you to say like, I does anyone else think this is kind of weird that he's going to be in this after he was in the X Men movies? Yes, it is weird. It's like a little weird. Not that I have a problem with it. I really like Peter Dinklage. Um, uh, or at least I like him in Game of Thrones. That was going to be my next thing. Is like I'm a little concerned. Not because like I like him, but I haven't ever seen him in anything besides Game of Thrones where he was good. Like he was fine in the X Men movie, but he wasn't great. And he did voice acting for um, Destiny, and was his performance was so piss poor that they replaced him with Nolan North. Wow. Um, and re-recorded all of his lines because it was just not good. So I don't know if it's just because like the X Men movie was, you know. Like, he just didn't have a great role, and, and maybe he just didn't care about Destiny or whatever, but I don't know. I, I hope that he brings the same level of presence that he does in Game of Thrones to whatever role he does end up taking. To be fair to him, he wasn't given a whole lot to do in X-Men. I, I'd like to see him play a hero. I think it'd be cool if, like, maybe he does, like, a voice or something, like... Because, like, I mean, I don't... I'm not that I can... I can't think of any, like, superheroes that he could portray. What's that supposed to mean, Pete? There are no little people superheroes. Let's change that. <laughs> well, I mean, I would be cool with that. Puck, but uh, Puck, Puck, yeah, Puck from uh, Alpha Flight. That's Damn one. Ooh, that's a good one. Wow, that's you a deep, what? deep fucking. I, cut. I, I would watch an Alpha Flight movie. We're calling Puck up from the minor leagues. He's an Avenger now. You know what, Kale? <laughs> I would also watch an Alpha Flight movie. I like them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, like, I'm, I'm trying to think like who he would be and. I like the Watcher could be a cool choice. That's definitely a possibility, but I don't know if they're gonna want to go that heady in the movies. Like, I feel like that might be a little too cosmic Marvel for the the normies, as it were. I would I would love to see the Watcher appear. Yeah, in they these put films. they put the Collector in it. Like, that's a good. I, yeah, I that's feel fair. like I feel that's like fair. the Watcher isn't that big of a stretch. Yeah, yeah, that's that's legit. My only issue would be don't don't shove the watcher in to create a role for Peter Dinklage. If the watcher's already in the script, great. But if he's not, leave him out. You know what though? I, I don't I don't think that's gonna be a problem. Like I don't really I personally I feel like Marvel has done a really good job of casting in their movies in general, and like Peter Dinklage is far from the biggest star in that movie. So it's like I don't think they're gonna create a role for him, whereas like I do feel like him in X-Men was just kind of to be like, hey, look, Peter Dinklage is in this movie. Whereas, like, in a movie where you have, like, Robert Downey Jr., who's the biggest movie star in the world right now, like, Peter Dinklage isn't, like, he doesn't have the same grab. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a fair point. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if they do add Uwak to the Watcher, because as you said, Pete, that's kind of like... I mean, I feel like they've earned it at this point. They could yeah, probably get away a, with that's it. A, that's a big deal, you know. And That's and, a real comic book yeah. shit. Like, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. In any event, uh, DC is doing something that I think we've all kind of talked about, which is they're making comic books more accessible to the masses. So if you've got a library card, 
uh, you can now rent a couple of DC titles. Um, you can get DC Universe Rebirth, Rebirth Deluxe Edition. You can get Green Arrow Volume 1, The Death and Life of Oliver Queen. And you can get Superman Volume 1, Son of Superman, for free on the computer, tablet, or smartphone via a new digital service called Hoopla Digital. Oh, so that's how it works? You put in a library card into this digital service and that's how you get them? Yeah, I think that that's I think that that's fantastic. I think getting comic books into the hands of people who I mean, you know, a lot of people who go to the library are, you know, younger kids. Um, I think so. I think that's awesome for them to have that kind of opportunity. But just anyone who wants to try out a, a, a DC comic, it's a free opportunity to read what are the the relevant like recent titles. So like reading DC Rebirth, I mean that's that's fantastic for anyone looking to jump on board. Yeah, it's a great gateway. Um, I know, like, personally, uh, my I live in New Jersey, and in my county, we have, like, a really, really great library system, and um, they had an entire section of, like, the youth, young adult, whatever stuff that was, like, all comics, and when I was a teenager, I read so many classic runs that way. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love that idea. It's good on DC for that. That's cool. Good move. That's kind of a related thing. Um, Kale saw something on TV the other day that was kind of related I, to yeah, this. So I don't, oh, yeah. I don't own a TV in New York, but uh, since I've been on vacation, I've just been just binging just garbage TV. And so I was watching uh, – no, I wasn't even watching. I was playing Pokemon and AMC happened to be on. And uh, uh, a, a trailer, like a, a a commercial for the DC Rebirth titles came up. And and it was like advertising like the comics. What time was it? Like noon. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I like I had to look at like uh, like girlfriend pal Jess and and grandma pal grandma. <laughs> and like I was I was like, what? You saw this right? Like I'm not. And yeah, like that was it sent like shivers down my spine. I got so excited. So. What this tells me is that DC Entertainment listens to the podcast and believes that Marco and I are geniuses and are picking our brains. So virtual high five, right? Marco. Virtual <laughs> done. Yes, we did it. We saved DC, guys. That's expensive, though. Like, why would they go that route? It's yeah, and it's not. It's not a long trailer at all. It's you know, it's uh, it. It looks and it's at yeah, noon on AMC. Yeah, like it looks like a uh, you know, like what was The Walking Dead on or something? No, I think Terminator was on. Mm, wait, was it weekend? It was uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday. Bits that I saw when I was, you know, when I finally caught my attention were, uh, they looked just more like motion comic animatics, you know. So that's that's good. That's really smart, man. Um, yeah, I mean, like that. I mean, like, yeah, it would be better if they were willing to spend the money to do it like prime time when The Walking Dead's on TV or something. But like, that's different. I, I only I only saw it. You know, I only happened to see it on Thursday at noon. They very well could have one then. I mean, I've I've never seen one like during The Walking Dead, like on its primetime slot on Sundays. But like, that's literally the most expensive ad block on television because it's the most watched show. So, um, yeah, I, but like, that's great. I'm glad to see that. Um, I think we talked about this before, but just anecdotally to bring it up, um, I. I'm a big fan of uh, Telltale Games. They do like kind of the choose your own adventure style stuff. They've done one based on The Walking Dead, the um, Fables, and and then uh, Batman just earlier this year, or last year I guess rather. Um, 
and at the end of their Batman thing, at the end of every episode, it's just like, hey, did you have like did you have fun playing this Batman game? Go read Batman comics. And it's like a direct link to DC's storefront. Um so like I think moves like that are just like it's like that's what comics need Smart. to be doing. Yeah, you gotta be if you really care about bringing in new new readers, you know, you gotta look where readers well, are. To to counter that, I just got a hot uh, a hot take from uh, girlfriend pal Jess. Uh, she says that uh, when she saw it, she went, "Man, how desperate are they? W WB's <laughs> really throwing them a bone to get sales." Which wow. is, I mean, a fair point, but I mean, that's how you do it. I think, like, yeah, it's uh, marketing. The goal is to get new readers, and TV's the main medium for new readers. Jess's point goes to show that that kind of thing can be interpreted in many ways. And even from someone who is in the business that, that the idea of a comic book commercial of that nature is kind of like dirty, you know, like it's kind of like desperate. So that's the thing is like, those commercials aren't for us, you know, like we already, we already know that DC rebirth is out. Like that is for the, the random person who's at home watching Terminator in the middle of the day who might want to go read a comic book. Yeah. Like that's the kind of thing that, like my grandma would see and would go, oh, maybe that's a thing I could get Kale for Christmas. And yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, Kale likes Batman. You know, like maybe I'll get him a, a Batman book. You know, it's like, I I think that makes, it makes more sense than I think we'd probably give them credit. But I like heard Marco groan a little bit before. And I think I'm with him where like, I still think like internet marketing is probably a better way to go. Like so much better. They'd probably be better off like advertising on like YouTube videos or like yeah, or yeah. like on Hulu or on Facebook or something. Mm. Um, but just more cost effective, more efficient. It's just it's a better platform than you would television where you can't actually track people. Yeah, it's easier to target stuff too. Like I don't know, I I don't see why, especially since comics are like a little bit smaller, a little bit more niche that we don't see them doing more like branded kind of advertises advertisements and stuff like you know like reaching out to uh you know i don't know like a youtube channel like like valiant not valiant that's a publisher there's it doesn't matter like one like any of the hundreds of fucking podcasts or youtube channels or something that like has an audience that talks about comics and like maybe try to do something with them or like Mm -hmm. you said like you know like hulu like places where there is like a more tight audience and it is like a little bit more focused not just thrown it out in the middle of the day on tv well i will say that i think even if it's not the most effective way they could be doing it i'm still happy to see them trying something that yeah in totally conjunction yeah, yeah. with the library card deal i think that those are two um cool things that they're trying and hopefully they learn something from this and you know can move forward because this is better than anything that marvel's got going on so yeah and it, it's smart and i respect them like being willing to take a financial hit by putting out books for free and spending the money on mm-hmm. marketing and like trying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're rolling right now. Yeah. And like now, now, you know, next time we talk about this issue, I can't sit here and say like, well, why don't they put commercials on TV? It's like, well, they tried it. So yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right. Good. All, all that said, uh, DC, we will absolutely uh, take your sponsorship and we will, uh, we will pimp your products to till the cows come home. So uh, please get in contact. Uh, that's uh, the comics pals at uh, gmail.com. <laughs> For a second, I thought he was going to say that's uh, Kale Ward at <laughs> gmail.com. Or better yet, contact his grandma. <laughs> I am so <laughs> down to cheap plug DC Comics oh, on this podcast. Although I'd rather do it for Marvel. Anyway, um, 
<laughs> Ouch. <laughs> okay. Well, there's the sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, moving right along, though, uh, I wanted to bring this up. We don't need to belabor it too much, but uh, earlier this week, Lucasfilm made an offer or had a conversation with um, Carrie Fisher's family, her estate, about continuing to use her likeness in future uh, Star Wars films. And there was a bit of an uproar about that. People not wanting to see her digitally recreated or whatever. Um, She was supposed to have a big role in Episode Nine, And obviously now with her passing, that's very hard for them to do without digitally recreating her. And uh, we've recently learned that Lucasfilm has no plans to digitally recreate Carrie Fisher's Leia. So I think we can probably all agree that that's for the best. Uh, It would just... No. Yeah. I disagree. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, no. Pete, yeah. No, I'm I'm going to double down on the same opinion I had for, for Rogue One, where it's just like Princess Leia is Princess Leia. She looks like Carrie Fisher. If Princess Leia was supposed to be in episode nine, I don't want them to write her out. I don't want them to recast. I feel like we saw that it worked well enough with Tarkin. In my opinion, I was one of the people who defended that. It doesn't look perfect, and I'm sure in a few years we'll say that, yeah, that looks aged and whatever, but... We say that about the original Star Wars movies now. So I, Whoa, I feel like if they, no, no. <laughs> fuck that. that they look that they you don't you don't agree that the original Star Wars movies look aged. No, look at Phil. He's trolling you. Right now. Yeah, it's like I'm calling bullshit no. on that. No, so those those movies are 50 years old now. Like yeah, no. they look aged. They look aged. Look you at his face. You He's can't trolling. even you can't even remaster that well. <laughs> <laughs> no, so. Phil, Phil is Donald Trump trolling us right now. Um, so w- my, my point is that I don't think that technological limitation should be an issue. I don't see it as being disrespectful to Carrie Fisher because it, why was it okay for us to do that with Tarkin just because he died in 97 and she died re- more recently? Like, I don't see a distinction there personally. And I, I'm inclined to think that I, I don't really feel like she would have a problem with it personally I, that i don't know like but I, I don't see how it's like a a disservice to her or any kind of like insult to her legacy or anything like that and i think like the character if the character is supposed to be there she should be there and i i want her to look the way she's supposed to look that's my two cents. i think yeah i i agree with you pete to to the point uh though that uh i my my caveat would be respecting the family's wishes like um i yeah if they are super against it that yeah. is a different story um, i i yeah i would love to see leia in whatever form for episode nine but i mean if it's yeah if it's against the family's wishes i i i, I would prefer uh disney and lucas figure something else out i respect that yeah i i wouldn't want to you know um <laughs> that could obviously be a painful thing for them so that's that's definitely if that came into the conversation and that is the ultimate reason, I get that. Um, but yeah, the the fan outlash that or backlash that Sean was mentioning, I personally didn't understand. Well, firstly, my reaction to Pete's comment about the original series looking age was like a gut, like what the hell? And then as soon as you guys were like, "This movie's old," I'm like, "I guess it's a good point." I didn't, I, I didn't say it looked bad. Like, it was, it was like a, it was a visceral reaction, <laughs> and then I immediately kind of backed off it, like, "Okay, you know what? Yeah, it's a good point." 
but it's like yeah it's a it's a 50 year old movie man <laughs> it doesn't look like it's new like... <laughs> so i have to own that real quick but <clears throat> <laughs> it's like man that don't, don't get me wrong i'm not again it's not a criticism it's just like a matter of like you know some stuff ages well some stuff doesn't and like star wars ages well it's like there are things that look antiquated but they don't make that movie any less good if episode nine uses her uses Leia in full CG and she has a major role, but she's written well and it's well executed, then yeah, that, I don't think that should be a problem. I mean, I, I mean, I do have a bit of an issue with that. I mean, it kind of ties together with like the Han Solo movie that they're planning right now. I think for a lot of people, um, the original uh, actors like Mark Hamill, um, Carrie Fisher, and of course Harrison Ford are synonymous with uh, the original actual characters. And um, it kind of ties together with my problem with the new Star Wars movies altogether. It's too tied together with the original content. It kind of feels like this is what's familiar. This is what people like. So we're just going to keep producing this. Uh, I'd rather let the new characters stand on their own yeah, yeah. to begin with. But, I mean, I suppose they had a large role written for later anyway. So, I mean, it depends how um, how it's handled, I suppose. Let me, let me reroute the conversation a little bit uh, back to... So, my, my, my take is this. None of us and our opinions matter, ultimately, on whether or not she should be digitally recreated. The only people who matter are the family of Carrie Fisher. And if they say no, it's no. If they say yes, then it's yes. And I think fans need to really cool their jets because as much as we have passion and feelings about this stuff, at the end of the day, we didn't know her personally, right? Um, she She was alive when Rogue One was made. So she knew that her likeness would be used at the end of that movie and that she would be digitally recreated in that film. She had to have known. They're not going to do it without her agreeing. So if she was cool with that, it's pretty hard for me to believe that she wouldn't have been cool with being used in Episode Nine, especially if it was going to destroy the film for her to not be there. So on on that point, I totally agree. I personally don't care at all. If they want to use her, great. If not, great. But I will say that I think... I like I understand why people feel that it would be disrespectful, even if I don't necessarily feel that way myself. And I I wonder if Lucasfilm saying that they have no plans to do this is just a reaction to the backlash, or if it's coming from a conversation they had with their family. So moving right along, uh, Marvel has plans for Bendis to revive the Defenders comic book. Uh, so a, a cover of the presumably the first issue or one of the issues has been released and the team is the exact same team from the Netflix comic book it's Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil and Iron Fist with They're going to be fighting Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> uh and it's the usual team of Bendis, Marquez and Poncer which is kind of like the new Bendis crew. Um, and so Bendis says, I wanted to do a sprawling Godfather-like epic at the street level of the Marvel Universe, really putting our hooks down and creating a modern, elaborate, organized crime story that is different than what has gone before, but builds on everything that has happened to these characters as individuals or as a team and putting them in the hardest battle for the street that anyone can imagine. So that's going to come out in June uh, after a preview that's going to be released on Free Comic Book Day in May. So there you go. What do you guys think about that? Fine. Yeah, fine. I could have opinions about that. Um, so have them. It's like I think um, 
I, I think Bendis's best stuff is is his more street level work. Um, you know, his Daredevil powers, um, and and man, all most if not all of his early stuff is you know, I mean, Ultimate Spider Man. Yeah, very. I was say it, but I was waiting for Pete. Very. Uh, it's all very street level, and I think I think that's where he works best. Um, and his runs in Cosmic Marvel haven't been so great. Um, so I think I think I'd 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 prefer to see a return to that, though. Uh, I I I do think they it feels just like they're just trying to grab their you know their precious writer and put him in a property property they want to succeed, which is fine. I I mean I get that, but which coincides with the press release pictures of the Netflix series as well. Yeah, right. I mean, it's obviously a calculated move. I do want to say that while you're right, you guys are right in that it is definitely a calculated move. Every single one of these characters, with the exception of Iron Fist, Bendis has a storied history with. He is the reason Luke Cage... He created Jessica Jones. He's the reason Luke Cage is a prominent character in Marvel. The sole reason. No one else but but, but Bendis. Um, he's done a lot of stuff with Daredevil in his in his Avengers runs. Um even Iron Fist was a character in the Avengers, the new Avengers stuff that Bendis did. So he's intimately familiar with everybody here. Uh, street level stuff is Bendis's bread and butter. Uh, new Avengers, when Bendis was on it, was a very street level team book, which was excellent. And so I think that this has, and then you got Marquez, who is a phenomenal artist, and Justin Ponser, who is an incredible colorist. So I think that this actually has the makings of being a really great book. And I wouldn't want to undersell it just because it looks like it's kind of uh, piggybacking off of what Netflix is doing with the Defenders. I think that this is a smart move. You, I mean, you could be right. I mean, like you said, and to Kale's point, I mean, Bendis' best work is from 20 years ago. I mean, his Daredevil is very good. Um, 20 years? Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it's true, though. <laughs> I don't know about that. 10. 10 15 to 20 15. years. 2000s. I mean, that's that's almost 20 years ago. Um, that's, and that's, that's where the divide comes from is everything he's written in the last decade has been garbage, but this is coming. That's not true. Ultimate Spider-Man. Even that, I think the steam kind of fell off a little bit, but I mean, I'll, I'll concede that point, but still, um, this is coming back to the stuff that he wrote that was good. So hopefully this is also good since this is kind of his wheelhouse. Yeah, and I think um, to Sean's point, like him having history with all these characters and having a lineage with all these characters who also have a history and lineage with each other is, uh, and yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of good ingredients here. So let's hope it all comes together. Not like his X Men or his Guardians. Me neither. But if you look at all of that stuff, that's very much outside of his wheelhouse. I know. Yeah. That's, I- Totally agree with that. Yeah, that's not the stuff that we fell in love with him for originally, and I don't think he was ever destined to do that stuff. If you if you, if you look at his Avengers run after New Avengers, where he was doing like the the stuff with the Infinity Gauntlet and all that, like that was bad because he doesn't know how to handle that kind of stuff. It just comes off as kind of like cheap and weird. He his I just don't think his brain works that way. Um, but I think when like if you look at Scarlet, which is a street level book, that's phenomenal. Kale, I think you read that right. Uh, no, I or, don't, but I'm I'm familiar. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Scarlet's great, and Scarlet is very much in that Jessica Jones sort of wheelhouse. And I think that 
I, I just think Ben is, is not out of gas, but I think that he just needs to get back to his roots. And sort of, yeah, he needs to sort of redirect, yeah. I also just feel like they way overuse him. Like, you know, like yeah, he, he yeah. just, he's on so many books. It's like, you can't, you can't put out that much and have it all be essential. Yeah. Sometimes, man, I, I feel like he's like a meme at this point. Like, Ben to speak, <laughs> like, his, his writing style is almost a parody of itself. That's true. I agree with that. And I really hope this is something that, like, I mean, we all have fond memories of the characters that he's writing on right now. Hopefully, this book is a restoration of that quality. The current Jessica Jones book is really good, and he's on it. So, you know, I, I don't think he's, I, don't, I just don't think he lost it. I think he just has been working on stuff that is not really for him. But hey, congratulations to a guy who wanted to be a comic book writer his entire life and got to write The Avengers, you know? And literally everything else. Guys, I've never, uh, the only Bendis book I've ever read is Powers. What should I pick up? Uh, Ultimate, Ultimate Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Ultimate Spider-Man is his magnum opus. The first hundred-ish issues with Bagley are phenomenal. Not as good as uh, Dan Slott's run, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll fucking murder you. I think we can all agree the superior Spider-Man is the, the best Spider-Man run in. The superior Spider-Man. I I, I have a, a, a deep-seated hatred for superior Spider-Man. But outside of that, I do agree oh, that really? Slot okay. has done an amazing job with Spider-Man. And I will move along because I don't want to get into an argument with Pete. <laughs> no, I would, like, I would like to talk Spider-Man about that someday, week. Sean. We're going to have that conversation. Spider-Man show one day. We will do a Spider-Man show, but this is the Batman show. So we're going to talk about a little bit more Batman news. Uh, so... <laughs> uh, so we all are familiar with DC Universe Rebirth number one. Where we saw that the Watchmen characters are are involved and kind of working behind the scenes to influence the DC universe, and they're going to tackle that. Um, Batman and Flash are teaming up to figure out what exactly is going on and how the comedian's uh, button, the the Watchmen symbol, basically ended up in Batman's Batcave, and they're going to do that in a crossover storyline called The Button. The story will unite Batman and Flash as these two superhero detectives investigate the mystery of the comedian's iconic smiley face button and what it means for the future of the DCU. Is that... I have a question real quick. Is that, like, a thing with... Like, is is The Flash, like, considered a great detective? Yeah, and that's something... That's something that's not uh, really explored in his character a lot because, uh, because his speed and his rogues kind of take over. Uh, but yeah, he's like a forensic uh, uh, investigator, investigator an, uh, an analyst, um, and yeah, he yeah he he is like he's not like one of the smarter uh, one of the smartest people in the DCU, but he's definitely one of the smarter characters. This was no 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 this was this was definitely explained in the fifties uh, back in uh, the Silver Age. This was a huge element of those comics: is detective aspect and the sciencey stuff. Like this is why Flash was so popular in the fifties. Yeah, it's not why it's not why he's popular now. Oh, I know. I'm just explaining. This is part of fundamentally Barry Allen's origin. So the crossover is gonna take place in Batman 21 and 22, and the Flash 21 and 22 in April and May. Uh, so Tom King and the artist Jason Fabach will handle the Batman stuff, while Joshua Williamson and Howard Porter will tackle the Flash stuff. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, that's very old school. I like that. 
Yeah. So um, the kind of story here is that, um, like I said, they're trying to figure out how that got there. Uh, DC is teasing that their investigation is going to attract some other major player and that it's going to lead to a countdown to the climax of the Rebirth saga. So the the word the word countdown obviously is is a you know loaded word when you're talking about DC because of how great that 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 countdown story was from however long like ten years ago, um, the countdown to Infinite Crisis, right, Phil? No, no, no. Countdown was the there was uh, fifty two, and then countdown led to Final Crisis. That was that was very panned though. No, there was a countdown, some some sort of countdown that was that was enjoyed by people. Fifty two was the it? big one, and then they tried to repeat it again with countdown, very similar, multiple writers, fifty two weeks. People didn't like that one as much. Gotcha. Okay. So I, I mean, we talked last week about Jeff Johns teasing that he's working on, you know, some Watchmen stuff, and that they were probably going to lead. That was going to lead to a an event DC versus Watchmen. I think this is a necessary step that I'm actually really excited for. Tease it out. I I can't wait, man. I like I just I don't know. I'm a sucker for long form storytelling in comics, and this is more <laughs> of that. You're sure a sucker, Sean. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I thought there was a Kale and Sean feud building, but I think it might be a Pete and Sean feud. So we're gonna we're gonna jump into the the meat of the show. Uh, <laughs> an hour and twenty five minutes in. Um, Sounds about right. Welcome to the comments, pals, baby. <laughs> Meandering, long, excellent. <laughs> We're going to talk about Batman. We're going to talk about our favorite interpretations of the character. We're going to talk about the best Batman stories ever told, all that good stuff. We've been talking about wanting to do this for a while, and there's no better time than the present. Uh, I think each of us have strong opinions about Batman, and so I'm excited to do this. So why don't we just start off... Uh, by talking about what our favorite interpretations of the character are. So well, we've all seen all the Batman movies, I would assume. All the shows, everything. Uh, some of us have even played the games. So of all of those, which do we enjoy the most? Batman the Animated Series. Batman Beyond. Yep. Batman Beyond. Batman yeah. Beyond. That's interesting. Wow. That, that counts. Yeah, that for counts. sure. I like it, it though. I like it. Yeah, like I'm I'm one thousand percent in that camp. Bruce Tim's interpretation of Batman is the interpretation of Batman in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, that it's perfect. that goes from the animated series, Justice League, Batman Beyond, Justice League Unlimited. And both both animated series. It's important to say, because there's there is the Batman the animated series and then the new Batman animated series, both of which are Bruce Tim. Um yeah, no, I'm I'm a thousand. Brave and the Bold wasn't bad. And like That's a great show. I never saw that. Actually. It was awesome. It, it was good. really so good. Fun. But it, cool. Yeah, it, it was no Batman the Animated Series. No. I, I mean, like, I'm of the opinion that, like, nothing is. Like, I really think that's the best. You haven't read the books. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, I have read Batman. I've read a lot of have Batman. You? I'm so yeah, under the assumption that you just haven't read any DC. <laughs> no, I haven't read any DC except Batman. Okay. I've read a good amount of Batman. Gotcha. Um, yeah, no, man. I mean, like, I just think that, like... I think that the animated series, like, it does a really good job of pulling together all of the interpretations of Batman that we've seen, you know, and, and like, kind of synthesizing them in a way that, obviously, it's, like, there are moments of, like, the silliness that's not super present there, um, but, like, it does a good job, I think, of, like, being dark without being too gritty, you know, without, like, losing a, a bit of, like, superhero pulp, because it is a show that was for kids, um, at least, you know, initially, 
before they moved it to primetime on Fox, or not Fox, uh, WB, on like Sunday nights, which is unprecedented. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I think it's, I, I also really love Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill's interpretations of the Joker and, uh, and Batman. Um, I think Kevin Conroy has definitely done like the best voice version of the Dark Knight, period. And, uh, Harley Quinn, obviously, like, we've talked about her a lot, how she's kind of a mixed bag sometimes, but, I mean, she originates from that show. Uh, yeah, by a lot. I don't know. I just feel like, I feel like it does a really good job of honoring the history of Batman while also breathing some new life into it, and it's, unlike a lot of superhero cartoons from the 90s, it's, like, it actually holds up as, like, a genuine piece of, like, very strong animation, not something that we remember nostalgically. Kel, I really thought that you were going to say um, Adam West. Yeah, Kel I, does like the Silver Age stuff. Yeah, I, I love Adam West Batman. I love Batman 66, but, I mean, the animated series is what made me fall in love with Batman. Um, I, I, love, I love the animated series. I have the whole box set of the four seasons, including the WB season. But um, it, it's, it's weird because I, I watched that whole thing in high school, and then I rewatched it kind of recently, and... The one thing I didn't realize until I rewatched it is how many bad episodes there are. Um, like the, at, at its best, it's amazing, it, absolutely phenomenal. But there's so many bad ones too. Like I've I've got a Batman in my basement and the Red Claw episode, and the one where Catwoman gets transformed into a, like a humanoid cat creature. Like there's a lot of trash <laughs> I, episodes. I hold on. I, I, I wholly to say disagree. You well, just, let me say you one just said three great episodes of Batman the Animated <laughs> Series. Wow. Yeah, I don't I don't think they're trash. I, they're they're not the level of like high art that I think like the the Mr. Freeze episode that won a fucking Emmy. Not, not, was, not even but... just that. There's the one where uh, Rupert Thorne has a brother and like it's like the whole message is like it's never too late and you don't give up on your yeah. family and stuff. Yeah. That's fucking great, but I recently rewatched Mask of the Phantasm, and that's legitimately like oh, an incredible movie. That it's, is it's the best like Batman Casablanca. movie. It's like Casablanca. It's awesome. Um, but I mean, I have other opinions. But if we want to keep uh, sucking off the animated series, we can. <laughs> Sean, what how about you? You haven't said anything. Uh, so I'm a big fan of the animated series. That's what turned me on to Batman probably the most as a young person. Um. But I think what solidified me as a Batman fan was the uh, the Batman movie from 1989 and then Batman Returns. I've always enjoyed the more darker elements of the Batman character. And How do you guys feel about Batman Returns? I think it's amazing. I think Batman Returns is an amazing movie. I feel like movie. that movie gets shit for no reason. I will say this. Without Batman and Batman Returns, there would be no animated series because yeah, that's what... Like, that was a huge influence on the visual side. Not just that. I mean, it wouldn't have been made. Like, Fox let that series be made because of the movie. And so, following up on that, I, I, for me, the greatest interpretation of Batman, and I know I'm going to get flack for this, is the Nolanverse. Uh Okay, I, for a second, like the lead up to that, I, I was like really afraid you were gonna say like Batman and Robin or something. I was gonna be like, <laughs> like is this Sean's like deep dark secret that we haven't heard yet that he he? I actually rewatched that fairly recently too, and uh, that's a fun movie. I gotta be honest, like it's God, like one I hate of those you, movies. Phil. It's 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 like watching The Room. It's train 
crash the room. fun. <laughs> I I didn't think I'd enjoy it as much as I did, but I mean I obviously enjoyed it for the wrong reasons, but I still enjoyed it. <laughs> I think you enjoyed it for the right reasons. Like I think you you know, I think you enjoyed what's there to enjoy. So I'm not I'm not crazy about the um Tim Burton Batman movies. I uh I, I it's not even the, I like them tonally and everything, but I feel like uh as films they don't they don't they're not great, I guess. I feel like 89 Batman is super overrated. Like, I like it a lot, but I feel like it has a lot of, like, really weird kind of inconsistencies that people don't talk about. Like, everyone freaked out with the Ben Affleck killing people in, in Batman v Superman, but it's like, we see Batman in the Bat plane, like, shooting people. And, like, and that's just fine? Okay. Um, and then to Sean's point, um, I do enjoy... Uh, the Dark Knight, which is a it's a great movie. Um, this is not. Yeah, I think The Dark Knight's like the best superhero movie is, that's been made. This is not a great Batman movie. You're oh man, here we go, dude. Here we go. Listen, of course it's a great Batman movie. You know why? Because Batman is in the movie, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want you want to yeah. see a great you want to see a great Batman movie? I'm Batman. Kale. That's a visual gag, man. <laughs> Fuck they, you, they Kale. can't see it. Um, so I, I get, I know exactly what you mean when you say that, Phil. And the thing about Batman that's different from almost every other superhero is that he's extremely malleable, and there are so many ways you can interpret the character to to the degree that no interpretation is wrong. Uh, but I think. That the Nolan verse gives us an interpretation of the Batman character that gets so much right and portrays him so well that we agree that The Dark Knight is the best superhero movie ever. So if it's the best superhero movie ever, then for my money, it's also the best version of Batman that we've ever seen on screen. Well... I knew I knew this was gonna be the this was gonna happen in this episode because we teased it a few weeks ago. But uh, I don't think malleability is limited to just Batman. I think that's true of any comic book character, and that's why the X Men movies work. But that's another conversation for our past episode. <laughs> I think the X Men. I think the X Men are also malleable, but I would say that they're less than Batman. I think Batman. We've seen everything you could possibly see with a comic book character through Batman. Yeah, I, I think like the fact that t- to Sean's point, the fact that Batman works both as a like a, a comedy character and as like the like poster child for gritty dark superhero reboots says a lot about how much range there is in his character. And I don't think you can say the same for every superhero. But again, that is a conversation we've kind of well worn. Um, but to to piggyback off your point, Phil, and actually agree with you. Um, I think the reason I can agree with you, Sean, that even though it is the best superhero movie and the best film interpretation of Batman, I don't think it's the best interpretation of the character, just because I think the grounded nature of it, while it makes for a great movie uh, and a great trilogy that I really like and a great interpretation of that character, I think it misses some of the kind of key elements of Batman that are a little bit more comic booky. Like I talked a lot about uh, like the visual language of Spider-Man a couple weeks ago. And I think that's kind of true for Batman too. Like Batman is a regular man and everything, but he also isn't like his superpower is that he's Batman. The, le- the way that he propels himself around a, a, a room to fight and stuff like that is, is superhuman. You know, it's like, it's not realistic. And um, that isn't present in those movies. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a problem, but I think it does 
in my mind, takes a shot at it from being, like, the best interpretation of the character because it does miss a lot of things. Like, when you think Batman, you think utility belt. And, like, we don't really see a huge range of, of technology in those movies. It's kind of the same key things that are grounded and very realistic. He's not even much of a detective in those movies. Right, yeah, exactly. There there are very key elements missing there. And, and I think the detective is actually probably the biggest thing. Like, he doesn't really solve anything in those movies. And... I, it doesn't make them bad. It just there is a little something missing that I think the animated series does a better job of giving us every flavor of Batman. I, I think I think that like I'll concede the detective because that's the biggest thing for me. But I think when you're talking about when you're talking about um, a film series versus an animated series, and I'm not I'm not saying that because it's a film series that. Uh, that the I'm not saying that because it's a film series that you have to give it like you have to give it special treatment. But when you're talking about a film series, that you're always going to lose out on something, right? Like they, there's no possible way they could show everything that Batman is in in nine hours, right? But you get a lot of what he is, and I think that like the detective stuff, like I'd love to see a, a series of Batman films where he's more of a detective than a fighter, you know. Like I, I would, I would love to see something like that. I'd love to see a fucking Batman Netflix series. Oh God! <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. I really, I, I, I really like. I think, I think it could work, but I, I don't want. I don't know that I like need to see that. I would, I would much prefer that. I think a serialized Batman uh, show that was focused around him being a detective would be fucking rad. Okay, if it's focused around him being a detective, and that's just what he is. Detective then Comics, that's, the Netflix that's series. That's cool. Yeah, was, yeah. 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 I think, yeah, you do it like very old school, like, like you know, OG Detective Comics, gritty, street level, you know, crime lords and stuff like that, a la Daredevil and like one supervillain a season or, kind of Or thing. just tonally what animated series was going for a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, that like very like kind of like 1960s gangster vibe. Um, But I mean, my, my whole thing is like, the Dark Knight is like the poster child, as long as it's a good movie, and it kind of, for me, proves that this this all is very flexible and open for interpretation because it, it, it is comics, um, and that's like the poster child that, honestly, if you get enough of the flavors in, it'll work as a movie, because it's all interpretation and uh, different iterations, so to speak. Real quick, I do just want to give an honorable – no, no, I'm sorry. Just again, before we totally move on to comics, I wanted to give an honorable mention to the Arkham video games, which I think are, are really well done. Uh, Arkham Arkham City – or not Arkham City, uh, Arkham Knight. Arkham Knight sucked in my opinion. Not a good game. Um, I thought the tank stuff was like way too much. The Batmobile was like shoved into everything and it killed the pacing of it. Uh, the story was like super predictable and bland. Arkham it was City like, they're was like, oh, dope though. Arkham City's phenomenal. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, Ar- Arkham Asylum and Arkham City are both excellent games. Like, they're both good video games, but then they're also excellent interpretations of the character. I think they do a really good job of kind of, like, feeling like they pick up where the animated series left off. Using the same voice actors and all that stuff is definitely a big boon. Um, those are just really excellent games, and if for whatever reason you haven't played them, they just put out a collection of them, so you should definitely go visit them again. You should go get that anyway, because it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, they're fucking great. I games. feel like they they have aspects of the animated series in them, but they feel like their own thing. It's great. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I think my only my only real caveat with them is like, particularly with Arkham. Uh, I think it's Asylum. Oh no, maybe it is the end of City. 
Um, both of their, like, final boss moments are, like, very video gamey and anticlimactic for something that otherwise is so, so good at making you feel like Batman all the time. But then it's like, oh, fight the Joker, and he's all hooked out on, like, Bane drugs. And it's like, okay. I think, I think that, the, the boss battles in general in those games are not the best. Uh, see, I disagree just because I think the boss battle, I think, in City with Mr. Freeze. In his, that boss battle is awesome. crazy, but that's one yeah. of many. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And then, like, when you fight Bane, like, one of the times, it's it's pretty similar to the Joker fight. But, yeah, th- that whole Mr. Freeze thing where he, you're, like, walking around the lab and, like, you have to, like, take him out, like, using the different traps and stuff while he's, like, you know, like, just kind of, like, walking around and talking to you is, like, that's such a great Batman moment. I don't know. They, oh, no, yeah, I was going to say, it just, it nails a lot of really important things, I think, like, the idea of, like, using the detective mode and, like, creeping around in vents or, like, in Arkham City, having those moments of, like, you're sitting on, like, a fucking gargoyle or something and, like, listening to chatter and then you swoop down and beat up a bunch of thugs and run off to go fight the Riddler or whatever. It's, like... It's just so good, you know? It, it really nails that aesthetic in such a perfect, sincere way. Um, I, I think those are easily the best video game, uh, best superhero video games ever made by a wide fucking margin. One thing I love in Arkham Asylum is all the uh, the tapes you pick up from Jebediah Arkham or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that really kind of feels kind of like, here's my transition, uh, Grant Morrison's Serious House on Serious Earth. Which is Arkham Asylum. Did you like that, Marco? I ordered it, I think, the day before yesterday. So it should be coming in the mail soon. It's great. You're good. I think you'll like it. Uh, knowing your taste and things, I think you'll enjoy it a lot. What's it called? I've never, I've never read it before. Well, it's called uh, Batman Arkham Asylum Serious House on Serious Earth. Um, this is what launched his career because it came out at the same time as the Batman movie and it made him a multi-millionaire. Phil, when you say him, who are you referring to? Morrison. It, yeah. This literally like launched his career. I mean, he did stuff beforehand, but this is what made him rich. This is what made him famous. I, I did want to say that um, recently I bought a Batman Beyond comic and I've been trying to like support the Batman Beyond comic books because, you know, I really like the show. But... Um, the most recent one I bought, I opened the page and it's like it, it dealt with there was like a crossover with Brother I or something where Tim goes to the past, Tim uh Tim Drake goes to the past and like Terry McGinnis dies or whatever. Uh anyway, the first page opens where it's like the Batman's been gone for a couple months and so the Jokers are taking over a part of um Gotham and the the text box goes and there's this one area, and there's this one area in Gotham that no one goes, and it's called dot 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 Joker's Town. And then uh, I I closed the book and I put it down because it was really <laughs> cheesy. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So, all right, I wanted to talk about the great Batman writers because Batman has had so many good books over the years. Um, first and foremost. Uh, on the Batman Mount Rushmore has got to be the creative team of Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. They pretty much set the course for everything that we like about Batman. I've never read any of them. It's great. I mean, it's weird because it's it's. Um, I think a lot of people associate Batman with this grim, gothic kind of reputation, which is definitely true. The original books from the from the late thirties by um. Uh, Kane, Finger, 
Um, but they made Batman more of a James Bond type of character. They invented Ra's al Ghul. Um, and yeah, and it's, I mean, all his stories are like high octane and adventure oriented. They're fucking great. Uh, Sean, have you ever read any of those books? Yeah. What are your feelings? I agree. I think, I mean, obviously that that's not my favorite, like Batman run. That's not. You know, I, I have other writers higher up on the list, but I think when you're talking about classic stuff, I mean, they they set the tone. You know, they yeah, set the bar. Not my favorite either, but like I think you have to bring up any Batman dialogue with those two. That would be like not including Hulk Hogan on your top wrestler list, like like of of you know the most important wrestlers ever. Like you have to have him the same way you have to have Denny O'Neill on this list. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and then uh, another big one. This is from the '70s, which is. Uh, late 70s rather is steve engelhart um you guys talk about how you like uh the animated series but the laughing fish comic with that they, they adapt into an episode was a steve engelhart issue uh where joker pollutes the water and all the fish look like the joker <laughs> that's steve engelhart uh and his run is amazing um it, it's often forgotten it's one of the more forgotten batman runs but uh he really helped establish this great run on batman and it's essential. Uh, but for, for for me, the big Batman writer is Mr. Grant Morrison. Yes. Boo. What? I'm kidding. I'm just bothering Phil. Yeah, he's being he's he's trying to keep stringing along our heel <laughs> face relationship, our feud. But yeah, Grant Morrison's 2006 to 2012 run is essential. It is it is greatest batman run ever published so before we before we worship at the altar of the god morrison is there anyone who wants to bring up another writer who we haven't talked about yeah i mean i have a couple shout outs uh i mean my, my taste in batman stories are are very similar to my tastes in in like comics in general like i like things that are a little self-contained um so like most of my shout outs are to like some of the more like graphic novel stuff um so like i wanted to give a shout out to jeff Loeb and tim sales on oh, halloween yeah, yeah, yeah. um that's that's probably my personal favorite. That's such a good story. Um, I just it's just yeah, it's just well written. It's really enjoyable, and uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's a solid pick. I think um, a little you know well worn, but I the Killing Joke was a formative read for me when I was a teenager and like getting back into comics. Um, so Alan so, Moore. Yeah, Alan Moore. I, who's the artist on that one? Uh, oh, um, um, Brian Bolland. Yeah, yeah, Brian Bolland. Yep. Uh, is it? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, like, that's a classic. I mean, like, obviously, I think, like, as an adult, like, it's easy to point out its flaws, but um, it was it was definitely a book that resonated with me uh, as a young reader, and and one that I think holds up as being one of the the more important storylines in general, not only just for Batman. Um, shout outs to Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns as well. Batman Year One. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're one. That was my next one. That's that's maybe my second favorite. Um, I just you know I I, I like I love origin stories are always like good for Batman too. Like I like the not origin story but like young Batman. You know where he's like figuring out street level stuff is is fun. Did you read Earth One? That was the next book I was gonna bring up. Is Earth One? I also really enjoy. It has like a almost Ultimate Spider Man kind of vibe. Um, so those those are my shout outs. Oh, and then Under the Red Hood, last one I wanted to call out. The really. Book? What's his name? Uh, um, help me out here, guys. Judd Winnick. Judd Winnick. Judd Winnick. 
Um, but yeah, no, Sean, the, the, the animated adaption is definitely way better. Yeah, I love um, it. It's so good. That is so good. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I I, I, I like that storyline quite a bit. Um, and the, uh, what, that's the one where that movie, or that animated movie, is the the one where John DiMaggio, who's the voice of Bender and Jake the Dog on Adventure Time, does the voice yeah, of I think so. Yep. Yeah, it does. And it's, and it's fucking and awesome. Yeah, he does a really good Neil job. Neil Patrick Harris was uh, Nightwing. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, Kale, did you have any shout-outs for Batman writers that you wanted to hit us up with? Um, yeah, so my, uh, I think, like, listen, I love Grant Morrison, and I will, I will fight to the death for Grant Morrison. But I think for me, like, a more essential uh, team is like the, well, team, uh, I like the Ed, Ed Brubaker and uh, Greg Rucka stuff. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah. cool. For, me, for me, stuff like Fugitive and, uh, ca- uh, was it Cataclysm? Uh, or the, um, the, the, uh, the, earth, the big earthquake storyline um for me rucka and brubaker really steep batman in his noir detective roots while also doing all the cool stuff we love about batman and they really they know how to make gotham a character in a way that not a lot of other writers uh have explored so listen while i love grant morrison and i love what grant morrison did uh, for Batman and and uh, you know in his runs, I think I gotta st- I gotta put my stake down in Rucka and Brubaker. Did you read Gotham Central? Uh, I have uh, I have the first volume I've read. I really would like to keep it going. Yeah, it's, it's collected in an omnibus now. It's a great book. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Marco, um, I guess just a shout out to Scott Snyder. I liked his. Um... His Black Mirror and like the that 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 backup yeah. story with um, Francesco Francavilla, super like horror tinged. Um, and I mean, I guess like hats off to sort of just handle the new Fifty Two kind of thing. I mean, he had to sort of pick up and restart restart basically like, like everything to some extent, whether it was good or bad. Uh, and I like how he expanded the mythos um, of like Court of Owls and stuff and. Um. Yeah. So I think I think like I'm glad you brought up Scott Snyder because I was about to bring him up as kind of like a controversial uh, option, and I, I honestly don't like that it's controversial, but I know it is. A lot of Batman fans do not think that Scott Snyder did much for the character. I disagree. I, I disagree. Black, yeah, yeah. Black Mirror is absolutely incredible. Bruce Wayne is not in it, but it's still great. Um, and then when you when you move into the new Fifty Two, I mean. The stuff with Court of Owls, the the death of the family stuff, I, even for me, the super heavy with Jim Gordon, I I thought all of that was absolutely derivative. And, and you're right, it, <laughs> it, it, it was derivative. But that I don't think that I don't think that because it's derivative that it, that that diminishes the quality. For me, they're still good stories. It does a little bit just because it came on the on the heels of Morrison's run. Um, and that's what it's derivative of. <laughs> Their runs were so different. I know, but there's beats and there's elements that are too like. All right, here we go. I teased this the last time we were talking about Batman, but I came up with a little game here. Uh, it is story elements, and you have to tell me if it's from Scott Snyder's run or Grant Morrison's run. First round, 
Batman versus a secret society that has operated in Gotham without Batman's knowledge for centuries, headed up by a man who claims to be t- named Thomas Wayne. They challenge everything Bruce knows about Gotham and his family history. Ooh, 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 ooh. Pick me. Yes, Marco. Uh, Scott Snyder. Nope, it's both. Damn. No, it's Court not of both. Owls and Batman Rest Nope. The, an- the correct answer is Grant Morrison because the Court of Owls was not headed up by Thomas Wayne. It was headed up by no one. The, well, I mean, the, the secret allegation is that the the Talon, main Talon, was Thomas Wayne, the brother of Batman, of, of Bruce Wayne. Yes, but he wasn't the leader of the Court of Owls. <sighs> there was none. That's a so nit- that's the answer a is Grant Morrison. That's a nitpick. No, no, the answer is Grant Morrison. If you want to get into the weeds with comic book nerdisms, the correct answer is Grant Morrison. It's a, it's a nitpick, but the point is, there's a essential member named Thomas Wayne. Like. Is way too comparable. And too I similar. beat you round one. The black oh. glove, two. the black glove, oh. and the court of owls. Round two, Phil. The Joker is back, fresh off a horrifically disfiguring injury. The Joker is returned with all new, more menacing personality. Batman broke the rules of the game <laughs> and their friendship, <laughs> so the Jokers changed the game <laughs> and kidnapped Bruce, Bruce's loved ones. I know, I know, I know. Can Batman survive? Yes, Mark. Oh, uh, Scott Snyder. Nope, it's both. Again. Damn, Batman, Robin must die, and Death of the Family. Uh, I don't know, man. Death of the Family was a Joker story, whereas the Grant Morrison run of Batman didn't really feature Joker too prominently. And, and that particular that was Volume Three of the Batman Robin story arc. Uh, Batman, Robin must die, and that features it very prominently. And also, and also that uh, that all text intermission uh, issue uh, early in his run yeah but that was that wasn't that that was kind of a that was a well but thing. that's i mean the personality thing is the basis of that yeah yeah all right so round two i'll concede don't forget after maybe dying in a life-threatening fall the joker seemingly vanishes but he has secretly disguised himself as an ally to the bat family only to reveal himself to batman later in the story come on come on, come on. i got this yes marco scott snyder Nope, it's both again. Endgame and Batman and Robin must die. <laughs> so, I mean, you kind of get the point is that there's a lot of similar similar story beats that are touched upon, and it feels uninspired. Or, here's the next one. I have one more. Uh, Batman disappears, and someone has to take the mantle. Oh, oh, oh easy. Yes, Marco. Easy. Uh, Dennis O'Neill. Hmm. I don't think that happened in Denny O'Neill's run. But also, again, not, also not one of the choices. Play the game, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's both. It is Snyder with uh, uh, Gordon, and then Morrison with Dick Grayson. Fair enough, Phil. Fair enough. I be- I won that game. Marco won that game. Everyone. <laughs> Marco being the being the only participant. <laughs> I don't know. For me, for me, I I really enjoy Scott Snyder. I really enjoyed, albeit derivative. I really enjoyed what he added to the Batman mythos. Um, I think. I think he did it in a in 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 a way that made most of it feel fairly grounded. Um, Snyder, yeah, man, I can't disagree more. Everything was like everything was like, look how crazy and epic this is. Um, That's Morrison's whole mo. But but it always like failed to deliver. I felt like it's like Batman has to battle his long lost brother Alman. Except he might not be his brother. He could be just a crazy guy. Joker I mean, knows but that's comics. Except he maybe doesn't. Oh shit! I mean, Joker but that's comics. Gordon. Like, yeah, but it doesn't. It never feels like a payoff. Like he comes up with these ideas and they are bombastic, but then they never land. 
I will say that Scott Snyder's run felt like a soap opera very much. Like it's kind of like it's it's very much in that vein, even when even in Black Mirror at the end where it's like, OK, did he really poison the kids or did he not poison the kids? Are they going to be weird adults or not? Like, I think I think he does hit that same beat a lot. I will agree with that for sure. Black Mirror is very good, though. I want to, um, I want it is to very good. Sure yeah. Stressed. So ba- based on uh, Black Mirror and uh, the little recognized uh, Gates of Gotham, um, I I think I think DC's greatest crime towards Scott Snyder was not letting him write much of a Dick Grayson Batman. Oh, for sure. They, I that's think, something they should have done in the first place is just keep going with Dick Grayson yeah, Batman for a little I while think, longer. I think for someone with the love that scott snyder has for batman and like i mean you can't you can't argue that scott snyder doesn't love batman like period um i think i think he should have been someone who added more to the mythos with dick grayson i think he would have done a lot more for batman that way the reason i disagree is because black mirror is so tight of a story that i would hate it if he had more room to kind of screw it up. I like the fact that it's very self-contained. I like the fact that it's not a long form story. And I think he really found something cool to do with the limited space he had. Whereas if he didn't, I think it could have gotten too wild. I, I, I kind of almost wish his entire Batman run with Capullo, which that's the other big thing is Greg Capullo's art is phenomenal on that Snyder run. It's that's like, and for me, in my money, that's the best thing that he does. Is of uh, that run is the Greg Capullo art, but um, you know Morrison's run was so um, timely in that, and it, it it was timeless rather in that he basically told eighty years of Batman history in six years, as if everything could fit neatly to one man's actual life, which is really ingenious and clever considering how different everything is in batman's life he fits in batmite batman zero and r um it's incredible and then he does the return of the bruce wayne story which is real 50s oriented it's crazy um and then he does something completely new by flipping the batman and robin dynamic where you have batman is the um happy-go-lucky kind of character and robin is the dour kind of uh, uh bruce wayne character with uh, dick and damien and that dynamic could have really worked for another 10 years and i and I, with Black Mirror being a good book, I kind of wish we could have had uh, a run of Snyder and Capullo on Dick Bats. Mm. That's a weird way to put that, uh, Dick, Dick Bats. But... That's, a, that's a folks on the internet call. Yeah, him. man, I mean, I I, uh, I don't have a horse in that race, but I, I'm inclined to agree with you just because, like, I think that comes back to, like, my overall feelings about continuity where it's just like, if that dynamic works and there's a creative team that wants to write that book, like, why can't we put that out, you know? Like, and it is because people want Bruce Wayne to be Batman, but it's like, we can't have both. Like, give me some loophole where that's happening in its own universe or something, a pocket thing like they did with, uh, what's it, Earth 2, yeah, right? Yeah. Is it DC? Yeah. yeah. Shout out to that too, by the way. That's another Batman story I really like where um, Thomas Wayne is Batman and Martha's the Joker oh, and Bruce the, is dead. The Flashpoint stuff. Yeah, that's so weird, but it's really cool. My, yeah, my, I guess my whole thing is that with Morrison, he did such a good job of encompassing, encapsulating the whole history of the character, and then kind of punctuated it in such a nice way, and then also gave it a new breath of fresh air for the future. 
that I think it's something that could have been very fresh and new going forward. But you know, you have the rubber band of the status quo, I suppose. I'm I'm a super fan of Grant Morrison's run, and like I said, I worship at his altar, and I think he's the, the man. Uh, and his Batman run is, for my money, the best thing ever done with Batman in comics. The only problem that I have with the run is that I feel like DC, their editorial staff, really screwed it up. Which I, part? I tru- well, the part where um, uh, Dr. Hurt was supposed to be the actual devil, and they changed it to where he was like not. I felt that really that really hurt the run. Introducing the new fifty two while he was in the middle of his run, I think uh, did yeah. some damage. Yeah, especially to Batman Incorporated. Well, the, the end of Batman Inc. is a, again it's Morrison's commentary on how everything is cyclical in comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Ouroboros, I think it was called. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So I I while I think that run is genius, unfortunately, it is marred by editorial screwing it up. I I don't I don't take anything away from him. I think he did a, f- a fantastic job, but of course, um, I mean he just has bad luck, right? Like at Marvel, they did the same thing uh-huh. to him with the yep. X Men stuff. And just man, um, I will but say I, th- I do want to. Sorry, go ahead. I will say this: their compromise to appeal appease him because they really fucked him over with the new Fifty Two stuff happening, like in the middle of his six year run, like four, four his fourth or fifth year in. Um, they said, well, "How about we let you do the Superman origin?" for our new 52 and you get to do action comics number one and we got the 18 stellar issues of action for morrison which wouldn't have happened if they didn't fuck him over i need to reread that you really seem to love it i didn't like it when i read it but i'll, I'll give it another chance i love it I think uh, it's awesome. yeah i like it i like it a lot i, I want to move on though um because i want to talk about what do we think are the greatest batman stories ever told and i know we've we've talked a lot about specific um, titles already, but I think there are some that haven't been mentioned that I was personally a big fan of, and I'll start with uh, one written by Grant Morrison, which was Gothic. Oh yeah, oh yeah, good call. Batman Gothic ties in very well to the rest of his run, the run he goes on to have later, what Phil and I have been talking about, uh, and he kind of does battle with the devil in a in a weird way, um, and it, it reveals more about about Bruce's youth and his time in school and stuff like that and it's a really well told story and the art's the art's cool too i enjoyed that book a lot um there are a few others the cult i i love the cult have you guys read that no who's it by oh god um uh i can't remember who the creative team is on the cult but i will find out oh it's jim starlin yeah, I was thinking it was Jim Starlin, and but yeah, Bernie Wrightson. Ooh, yeah, interesting. Wow, yeah, that's a really good one. Be- basically, there's this preacher guy who Deacon Deacon Blackfire, I think his name is. Uh, oh yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He starts to rally all the homeless and disenfranchised of Gotham, and they create a cult. And Batman has to try to deal with this, and it's basically Batman versus poverty, Batman versus homelessness, and. Uh, it's, it's a really, really great storyline. If you've, if you're interested, it's it's worth checking out. I was going to say I would also throw out uh, Batman Hush. I think if you're, uh, I once wrote a um, uh, an essential Batman uh, list, and and for me, Batman Hush is at the top for the modern, uh, the modern, you know, Batman starter. I'm not crazy about Hush. To be honest with you. See, for me, it it's one of those that similar to kind of the long halloween it's one of those that sort of encompasses 
the history of Batman up to that point. I love Long Halloween. It's the same creative. Well, I mean, it's got Jeff Loeb. Um, it's yeah, Jim this Lee is Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee. Yeah, but um, I feel like it's not as good. It feels like it's 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 less inspired. I think the twist isn't as good. I'm just not crazy about it. I think as an intro, though, it does serve its purpose. Like as an intro, I agree with that. I agree with that. I yeah, I'm with I'm with Phil in that it's a little. It, it feels like they're trying to capture the spirit of what worked before, and it doesn't work as well, but. I think if you've never read Batman before or something like that, definitely Hush is, is a fine place to start. And I'm a big fan of Hush himself. I really love yeah. Hush. Um, uh, speaking of which, uh, Heart of Hush is really, really good. Um, is do it? you guys know what that is? Yeah, yeah I love it's sort Heart of the it's sort of a follow up in like Detective Comics, right? Yeah, it happened yeah. over there. Um, yeah. I yeah, it that it. The summary of that never appealed to me, so I never, I never picked it up. Shouldn't should mention that Paul Dini wrote that, by the way, yes. who of course did the animated series. All right, well, maybe I should. Um, any other mentions? Yeah, I got a few. Um, of course you do. It's, it's well, it's funny because <laughs> like I never really talk about Batman, um, because I'm always more known as the Superman guy. But I mean, I fucking love Batman. Um, I guess it's because like Batman is the most saturated comic book character there is and i i guess i get a little sick of him sometimes just because like he's fucking everywhere but like that doesn't diminish the quality of work there is with batman you know uh so the first one i wanted to mention was gotham by gaslight by brian augustine and mike mcnola that's a great book um whatever happened to the cape crusader by neil gaiman and andy kubert um which i feel like marco would like yeah it's on my list um, but uh, I really like the story arc from Morrison's run, The Three Ghosts of Batman. Oh man, yes, that ah, uh, you're bringing back you're bringing back memories, man. That was so amazing. That's, yeah, I think incredible. that's my favorite piece of that run. It might be mine too. I uh, I really like the Batman and Robin stuff, but I mean, I can't diminish how good um, uh, The Three Ghosts of Batman is. Uh, truly, um. And then I wanted, this is a controversial one, but I feel like it doesn't get its due, but I think The Dark Knight Strikes Again is a better book than people give it credit for. Um, This is a, I mean, it's true art. I mean, people expected a uh, very dedicated sequel to perhaps uh, the second most famous comic book ever. You know, The Dark Knight Returns. Um, And you know, instead of curtailing to the demand of what people wanted, uh, Frank Miller just did his own thing while writing it. Nine eleven happened, and everything went crazy while he was living in, I believe, Manhattan. Um, and like the art starts becoming more erratic, and like it's a timepiece. It's an artistic timepiece of what happened in two thousand one, and it, it. I mean, it's definitely not as tight in in. Uh, culturally relevant is the original Dark Knight Returns, but it has merit, and it's not as bad as people think it is. I think people think I think people hate it strictly because they're comparing it to the original book. But on its own, it's not as bad as people say it is. I I have one last one that I want to bring up. No one ever talks about this book, but I, I think it's awesome. Uh, Batman Absolution. It's by J.M. DeMatteis and Brian Ashmore, and 
I'm just going to read you guys the synopsis. Uh, Ten years after an attack on Wayne Enterprises by a group of urban terrorists, Batman discovers Ringleader is hiding in India, or is hiding in India. In the course of a journey that takes him to the hidden temple of a great Indian saint, Batman will find all his concepts of crime and punishment, justice and retribution, God and man, turned inside out. The reason why I like this one so much is because this is a Batman story in the vein of the cult that finds Batman kind of coming face to face with an ideal. And something that he, you know, he's a very black and white character, right? And this is one of those where it's a shade of gray. For for Batman, the concept of, of crime and, and justice and all that stuff is very straightforward. But this story forces him to look at it from a different angle in a society that doesn't see things the way he does, right? Um, the same way, in a similar vein as the cult. So if you've never read this, check it out. It's really well written. No one talks about it, but I, I think it's worth worth you know reading i wanted to mention like perhaps everyone always talks about all-star batman and robin as like the most batshit crazy batman story ever written but it isn't the most batshit crazy batman story ever written is batman odyssey by neil adams um at some point in neil adams life he started describing to the hollow earth theory that the earth is hollow and there's like shit in the middle and that's exactly what the Batman goes to the center of the Earth. He rides pterodactyls. He meets Merlin. He meets little green aliens. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely bananas. This was, I think this came out within the last 10 years, but uh, that's, if you want to read something that's absolutely fucking bonkers, that's one you gotta go read. But I hope you enjoyed this conversation about Batman. Uh, each of us is a big Batman fan in our own way. Uh, and... Although I personally still feel like Grant Morrison's run is the best thing ever. As you can see, there's just a wealth of Batman books out there. So many great writers have graced this character. And if you're looking to jump in on Batman books, I mean, just take these references, you know, the books we've brought up, and uh, go spend a ton of money. Just buy Batman. So that about wraps it up for episode 12 of the Comics Pals podcast. Uh, if you want to let us know your favorite Batman book, something that we might have missed out on, uh, hit us up. You can reach out to us on Gmail at thecomicspals at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at thecomicspals. Uh, you can also leave a comment on, on the YouTube video and let us know if we forgot anything. Um, and definitely leave us a like there, too, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, you can also hit us up on iTunes and leave us a star rating there. We'd really appreciate it. Really helps the and, show. Uh, yeah, big time, big time. And that's about it. So let's jump into the plugs. Pete, you want to start? Sure. Um, as always, I'd like to thank you guys for joining us here on episode 12. And if you guys want to see more of me, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at loud underscore Pete, uh, where you can tell me about my how my opinions are trash or whatever. Um, or we can gang up on Phil. And um, (laughs) if you want more content from me, uh, you can check out my YouTube channel, Slack and Slash, uh, or slackandslash.com or youtube.com slash slackandslash. It's all about video games. We do a podcast every Monday, Let's Plays on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and scripted stuff periodically. Um, We're going to be launching a new show next week where we uh, watch cartoons on Saturdays called Saturday Morning Cartoons. Obviously, very, very inventive name there. And then uh, you can also hopefully by this point check out my first article published over on comicbookresources.com, cbr.com. So check it out. Thanks. Awesome. Kale. I'm going to plug my comics company, Panels Publishing. And uh, this week I'm going to kind of highlight uh, Cosmic Number 1 by my my, uh, colleague Aaron Keepers and uh, Letty Wilson, uh, who did the uh, faces for our logo. Thanks a lot, Letty. 
uh cosmic is the uh it's the story of uh, an alien crash landing on earth and uh mixing dna with a, a human girl and sort of the uh ensuing adventure that happens after that uh please go buy that it's on comiXology um i know aaron and letty are hungry so uh please support them in making comics uh, you can find the rest of our stuff on our website, panelspublishing.com. You can find us on on uh, Facebook under Panels Comics. You can find us on Twitter as Panels Comics with an X. And uh, like I said, we are on Comixology. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into, T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Marco? Uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter as woe is Marco. Twitter just has an underscore at the end of it. Um, I'm usually just posting up pictures of my life, and every once in a while, I'll post uh, something about me playing music. Um, and yeah, I'm in the works of possibly starting something new. So um, more to come, hopefully. Cool, Phil. Um, I wanted to plug a new indie character by Bob Kane and Bill Finger named Batman. You should check him out. <laughs> I think there's a lot in the future of that character. And then otherwise, you can follow me on uh, social media at Cyborg Holiday with two L's. And you can tell me how awesome my opinions are because there's no way anyone could ever disagree with my absolute opinion. Right. <laughs> so with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye. I won't be here next week, so don't listen. Just kidding. It'll be the best episode ever. <laughs>